Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. A lot of farm bill news today. We finally have that uh, text, that uh, draft legislation, and it looks like it's now should be on the fast track for passage this week and onto the president's desk. We'll be talking about that with Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation a little bit later on in the program. We're also going to talk about our meat exports around the world. How are they done here in a challenging 2018? We'll talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Also coming up today, uh, we'll let you know about some uh, videos and information available to you that help you can help you with soil health and water quality on your farming operation. So all that's coming up. But right now, let's start things off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Let's talk, Jerry, about this farm bill, the 807-page legislation, estimated price tag of $867 billion over 10 years. The text was released last night. What stands out to you in it? Well, what stands out to me is that they managed to I don't. I guess the word that kind of comes to mind is fudge, but that's not the. Right, that really isn't the right word. They they managed to achieve compromises on so many little contentious issues. Of course, I shouldn't say that the idea of uh, stiffer work requirements for food stamp beneficiaries is a small item, but that was the number one thing they got rid of those work requirements while putting in some uh, integrity measures. Uh, that they say will satisfy the hope will satisfy the conservatives, but in any case, we'll get a lot of Democratic votes uh, for uh, for the bill. And then the rest of the bill, I would describe mostly as tweaks uh, to farm programs, um, with one exception, and that is that the livestock people did get their vaccine bank uh, and uh, I guess more more laboratory work uh, on dealing with animal diseases that they're afraid of. Now, forestry became a big issue, and it looks like this bill would waive environmental reviews for things like clearing diseased or insect-infested trees, but the change is uh, not as big as what some had hoped for. Uh, that's right. The, uh, the conservatives in the, in the House, and I would also say the logging industry, wanted more dramatic uh, changes, uh, but, the, but the environmentalists and the Democrats in the Senate to that. Uh, so once again, it, uh, it was a compromise. But I think there's one thing we need to uh, uh, keep in mind here, and that is in both the forestry case and in the food stamp case, there's going to be a lot of reliance on Secretary Purdue using his powers to achieve as much of what the conservatives wanted to achieve as possible. Uh, I had someone from the White House tell me that on the forestry issues, they were, were going to rely on Purdue. Uh, and, of course, Purdue has already put, uh, started this, this uh, regulation um, on food stamps um, that might make it uh, more difficult for some people to get them, uh, which is, uh, is also pleasing to the conservatives. Now, you mentioned there is uh, the funding for the vaccine bank that was very important for the livestock sector. Also interesting, um, a provision that would return the top USDA position on rural development back to a Senate-confirmed post. 
Indeed. I think this is, uh, you know, Congress saying to the Purdue, or the, well, to Secretary Purdue and the Trump administration, rural development is important and, uh, the, and you erred when you decided to just turn that into an, ass, an assistant to, uh, to Purdue. Uh, undersecretaries have much more visibility, uh, you know, their sub-cabinet rank, and so I think um, uh, this, is the, uh, this is the Congress telling the administration this is what we want. Safe to say this bill is closer to the Senate bill than to the House bill? Yes, I'd say it is, it is closer to the Senate bill. Uh, the uh, the major achievement that uh, Conway Congressman Conway, the chairman of the House Ag Committee, got uh, was on payment limitations. The uh, Grassley proposal for tougher payment limitations was rejected, and Senator Grassley said this morning that he is going to vote against the bill, although he thinks it will pass. Grassley says he doesn't think that people would consider him uh, intellectually consistent if he did not do that. Uh, but Grassley also praised a lot of other uh, provisions in the bill. I would imagine that if it were a question of whether the bill would pass, Grassley would probably vote for it. But he won't need to because so many other senators will. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a big vote in favor. And looks like they'll get it done this week and on to the president. Yes. Now, Grassley said he thought that the bill will not get to the Senate floor until the beginning of next week. I've seen other reports that it's likely to get there. The House Rules Committee is meeting this afternoon uh, to set a rule for the bill, which I think means that it should come up in the House either Wednesday or Thursday. So the Senate would still uh, would still have time to uh, to pass it. Uh, but one final point I might make is, in the end, farm bills usually do get a big vote because. They provide benefits for a lot of people in this country, farmers and hungry people and others. So it is really, a, even though it's controversial, a popular piece of legislation. All right, so we'll be watching uh, as that moves this week. We're talking with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, we're also expecting to see the new Waters of the U.S. rule. Yes, I, you know, Senator Grassley just talked about that. And he said he hoped there wouldn't be any rule. But that's not practical because the, the EPA is under pressure because there are two Supreme Court decisions that were conflicting, and the EPA does need to straighten those things out. So there needs to be some kind of Waters of the United States rule, uh, and we'll just have to wait and see what they, uh, what they finally did. So uh, a lot of these activities really coming to a head real quick. Uh, where are they on the funding for the government? Uh, well, that uh, Senator uh, Senator Schumer and uh, uh, Congresswoman Pelosi are supposed to meet with Trump today to discuss that. I have a hard time believing that they shut down the government uh, three days before Christmas uh, uh, over that border wall. Uh, I think they'll come up with some kind of uh, some kind of, of conclusion to avoid that, uh, and uh, so that's where that's where that stands of. Uh, right now, but it's likely to go right down to the wire on December 21st when the current funding uh, uh, law expires. Well, it's it's been a long, long ways uh, struggle on this farm bill, but it looks like it's finally going to come together, and it looks like one that I would say most ag groups will support. Yes, I think the ag groups will support. The one thing is 
that it doesn't really increase the farm subsidies. And uh, Colin Peterson, who's going to chair the House Ag Committee, keeps warning this does not really address the, the, the deep economic problems in rural America at the moment caused by the low commodity prices. And so you could see uh, some kind of revisions or more aid coming up next year. Uh, this will provide stability based on what we have had. It is very much a status quo bill, uh, but it is one that I think farmers are ready to are, are ready to support. All right, Jerry, thank you very much. Thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right, we'll get reaction to this farm bill from Andrew Walmsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Family Fire. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 
information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. So the Farm Bill Conference report was released last night, and now votes expected in the next few days, both the House and the Senate, and it is expected to pass and go on to the president's desk. Let's talk more about what's in this Farm Bill with Andrew Walmsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Andrew, thanks for joining us. After all this time and after all the debate and controversy and arguing back and forth, it looks like the bill is pretty similar to the one we have uh, in place right now. Well, it does seem that Christmas came a little early here in Washington. Uh, We've been saying for a long time it was going to be more of a evolutionary than a revolutionary farm bill but it's nice to have something to to look at and and a path forward this week hopefully to get it signed and hopefully five years of certainty coming for producers okay let's see what stands out in it to you of course all so much of the focus was on the the snap portion of it and the language there and worker requirements and things like that when it was all said and done it looks like they did not make many major changes to it at all no, a lot of the House provisions uh, didn't make it, and I, I think there was an expectation for a while that that would be the case, just the difficulty of getting the necessary votes in the Senate. Uh, there were some refinements in, in nutrition to uh, bolster some of the concerns maybe around fraud, but what we do expect uh, to maybe alleviate some concerns for uh, the conservative flank of the Republican caucus in the House, that the administration might have some ability to address some state waivers and, and tighten up uh, some of the the perceived abuse in the nutrition program. Now, the bill will allow farmers to adjust their average crop yields. Is that right? That's correct. That's a a nationwide uh, yield update that producers uh, will be able to elect if they so choose. All right. Um, We mentioned this earlier, but want to go over again because this was a key issue that didn't always get a lot of attention but was very important. There is funding there for a vaccine bank. That's correct. Yes, sir. There's uh, uh, $300 million uh, baseline funding uh, for a vaccine bank, so $30 million a a year is expected to be available uh, for that program. All right. Anything else in there that maybe, you know, we always wait and want to see what the details are. Anything else in there that we should make note of that maybe we hadn't really focused on that much? Well, I, I really believe that the, the conference committee, the four principals in particular, has, has done a really great job of working within the confines that they, that they were given when it came to, to, the, to the baseline. I mean, they, this is a budget-neutral bill, but yet we still see some revi- refinements to the PLC program, uh, to ARC. There's additional flexibility for producers to uh, elect coming up in the 2019 year for two years, and then they can reelect annually between those two programs. So anytime you've got flexibility for producers, we think that's a good thing. Uh, you know, there's some adjustments to reference prices uh, and some of the yield adjustments in ARC, reference prices in PLC. So uh, once again, nothing, nothing earth-shattering, but, but progress being made into, into important risk management programs. And some of the trade promotion programs not only protected, but some received a, a bit of an increase. That's right. We, we've got kind of the heading of four programs in there with that maintains funding for trade promotion, uh, actually some baseline added for the FMD program, and there's a, our understanding about $3.5 million a year for the secretary to use discretionarily between those programs uh, for market development and trade promotion. 
We're talking with Andrew Wamsley with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, Andrew, where did the farm bill finally settle when it came to the conservation title? Well, when we look at conservation, you know, there were some items that were of concern for our producers in the Senate bill, uh, particularly when it came to CRP easements. That language is not in. When you look at CRP generally, uh, we do see an increase to 27 million acres for CRP, but 2 million of that is for grasslands. Uh, and of those grasslands, it's our understanding that there's some flexibility for, for grazing and haying on those lands, which, which uh, hopefully will be welcomed by those producers. Uh, we also see the rental rates capped at for continuous sign-up at 90% of the county average and then 85% for general sign-up. And that was important for us uh, to see that cap in there to make sure that we're, we really are focused on some of the most sensitive lands uh, and that you know beginning farmers and ranchers and other producers aren't necessarily competing against the government uh, for some land that, that could be in production, that should be in production. So we think those settled out pretty good. Uh, we still will have a CSP program and an EQIP program. We see some plus up in the EQIP program. So uh, those working land programs survived and hopefully come out even better uh, and more usable for producers than they were before. What's in there for dairy producers? Well, as uh, Mr. Per- Peterson, I almost said Chairman Peterson soon, Ranking Member Peterson is expected to be chairman, of course, next Congress, uh, is, you know, indicated that dairy is the real winner. And so we've seen a lot of improvement to the dairy program. Uh, some, of, some of those, um, you know, particularly for small farmers, the, the safety net is enhanced with up to a $950 uh, per hundredweight. So uh, there's the ability also to u- utilize our dairy revenue product that actually freed up some, some savings that the committee were able to utilize and plug back into the dairy program. So definitely uh, uh, something to look closely if you're a dairy producer. Some of those improvements uh, we'll see in this 2018 Farm Bill. Looks like the House could vote in the next day or two. What about the Senate? Senate's a little less clear. The, the House is starting to, to clear out as far as what we think on process. The Rules Committee will meet this afternoon at 3 p.m. That'll set up the rule for debate. Uh, they'll vote on the rule expected tomorrow, and then most likely final passage will be Thursday in the House. Uh, the Senate could quickly follow suit, but there's nothing that restricts them from, from moving sooner outside of it's the Senate. But we could see the Senate voting before the end of the week as well. And expected that the president will sign it? That is our expectation. Uh, president Duval, uh, we actually just had our board meeting to endorse the bill. Uh, he had talked to Chairman Conway over the weekend, gave a phone call to Secretary Purdue. They had a good conversation, and uh, it's our understanding Secretary Purdue is encouraging the president to sign it. And we, we haven't gotten a whiff of a veto threat, so hopefully the support's there in the White House uh, to get this farm bill done and, and continue uh, the president's commitment to rural America. Well. Congressman Peterson, Ranking Member Peterson, already talking about a lot of Democratic votes for this. It, it would seem it's going to have plenty of votes to pass. That, that is the indication. Uh, we, we still think we'll get plenty of Republican votes. Uh, Mr. Peterson is obviously confident of, of the Democratic vote. I mean, foreign policy is just too important to be a partisan issue. Uh, we had we had hoped through this whole process, even though there were some some bumpy bumps along the way, uh, that we'd end up with a good piece of bipartisan legislation, and and hopefully we'll see that before the week's out. Well, it's been a long uh, journey, but it looks like we're just about to the finish line uh, on the farm bill. Now, Andrew, let's switch over to Waters of the U.S. We're, we should get that proposed rule perhaps today. This has been another long journey. It still has a ways to go, but this will be a big step. Absolutely. Once again, back to my comment of Christmas coming early in Washington. This has been a huge issue for 
landowners for farmers and ranchers with the previous Waters of the U.S. rule. Uh, there's actually a, a, a meeting uh, this morning over at EPA where there is our expectation that they'll uh, roll out the new clean water rule that will hopefully provide some clarity and certainty as what is the waters of the U.S. You know, our ask is clean water. We all want clean water, but we also need clear rules. So this is an opportunity to, to go through that rule, uh, make suggestions through the public comment period, and, and hopefully on a pathway to a, to a final rule here uh, not too far into the future. Yeah, we're going to have more on this tomorrow, but uh, the reason I say this still has a ways to go, there are probably a lot of legal challenges ahead for this. Yes, the EPA has been working um, particularly with the Trump administration on getting this new new rule put together. They've got to put a proposal out, go through the Administrative Procedures Act where it's public. Folks can comment. We'll be commenting. We'll be encouraging our members to comment. You know, EPA will take that feedback and, and hopefully have, have developed a defensible rule that, uh, with all expectation, will be legally challenged at some point. It is, it is expected that the new rule will significantly cut back the number of streams and wetlands currently being protected by the federal government. From the, the previous proposed rule, yeah, that is, yeah. That is the expectation. We really viewed the, the WOTUS rule as, as more of a, uh, a regulatory power play, uh, a land grab by the previous administration. So, like I said, we, we definitely want to have clean water, but we want to make sure that the states have their proper authorities and sphere of influence. You know, the federal government has their appropriate role. Um, but at the end of the day, that it's clearly delineated on what a farmer's responsibility is to make sure they're doing their part to be good stewards of land and water. Again, we'll have more on that tomorrow. But, uh, wow, a big day today. Farm bill, waters of the U.S. rule, a lot going on. Indeed, a busy time. Andrew, thanks for the update. As always, thank you, sir. Take care. Andrew Wamsley, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Yeah, tomorrow we'll take a much closer look at what's in this new rule for waters of the U.S. Also want to mention going on uh, after a phone call, it looks like there's more talks underway between the Trump administration and uh, China. They're back to talking. Meanwhile, we're also watching to see what's going on uh, in talks between the U.S. and Japan. So a lot going on right now on the trade front as well. What kind of year has it been for moving our meat products around the world? We're going to talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. We've got a mix in the grain and oil seed sector ahead of USDA's new report numbers on Tuesday morning. The U.S. and China have begun a new round of trade talks with a phone call between U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, and the Chinese Vice Premier talking about the purchase of U.S. agricultural products by China. Traditionally, USDA does not change its crop estimates for corn or soybeans in its December WASD report unless the government surprises us with a larger-than-expected change in an export estimate. Could see muted price reaction to Tuesday's report. For January soybeans, the multi-month daily trend up the mid-September low at 8.26 and a quarter remains positive. But the burden is on the bean bulls to kickstart a fresh upside move with a push through a ceiling at 9.23 and three quarters, according to the Wire Talk. Uneventful trade so far on Tuesday in corn. The short-term trend is said to be bullish neutral. Since gapping higher on December 3rd, the March corn contract has settled into a short-term range, bordered by support around 378 to 380, resistance at 386 and three quarters of a cent, remaining within that range in early activity on a Tuesday. Penny and a fraction to two higher in Minneapolis spring wheat, penny and a fraction lower in Chicago wheat and in Kansas City. For livestock in the Merck and live cattle, we're a dime to 30 cents higher. Feeder cattle, 65 to a dollar higher. Lean hog futures, though, continue to slide. February down 92 cents at 65.90. Outside market activity on Wall Street, the Dow up 216 points, NASDAQ up 95. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is mobile help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with mobile help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that. Call mobile help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, despite all the trade challenges of 2018, there have been some uh, positives, too, when it comes to meat exports. And to review 2018 for us, we welcome now Dan Hallstrom, 
President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us. I, I would say considering what has happened in trade and all the issues and challenges, when, when we see some of these numbers, they look pretty good. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Yes, I would agree. I think uh, uh, on both beef and pork, um, things are, are going pretty well, especially when you consider some of the headwinds on pork. Uh, I think it just uh, uh, talks to the testament that, uh, you know, consumption is growing globally, um, demand is, is good, and, uh, and we're making the most of it. All right, let's start with with beef. I mean, that, that's that been the, the real bright spot quite a quite a year for our U.S. beef exports. Without a doubt. And I think, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of the chilled beef programs going into Asia, um, Japan, Korea, uh, Taiwan in particular, that are really, uh, you know, setting the bar high there. But that being said, our Latin American uh, uh, destinations, Mexico, uh, South America, and Central America have been hanging in there pretty well uh, in addition to that. So, yeah, it's it's been a good combination. Will it be a record year? It will. I think we'll be uh, right at the $8 billion mark for the year. And, uh, um, you know, the good news is that the trend lines uh, look like there's more potential to, to go even higher um, as we go into 2019. So, yeah, we're, we're very uh, bullish. All right. So that was the really good news. Now, on pork, Challenges there for sure, uh, but even though pork numbers are down somewhat, uh, I guess it's not as bad as I thought it might be. Yes, uh, you're exactly right. Of course, China's down. We all knew it would be considering the, the tariffs there. But, uh, you know, it, the volume for the most part is being picked up in the rest of the world. Uh, we're seeing increases throughout uh, the rest of Asia, uh, increases in the South America and Central America, and, uh, um, of course, the the bad news on the pork side is our, our revenue is down a bit uh, on a per pound basis. But uh, um, overall, I think uh, things are looking pretty good on pork as well. If you Really, if you look outside of China, uh, things have been pretty good. So uh, in 2019, it'll, it'll, it'll be a real interesting market to watch in China uh, with everything going on with African swine fever and, and other, other factors. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're – pretty optimistic on pork as well as we go forward and what about lamb exports well lamb lamb we have a lot of good news there too uh the numbers are up uh for the year uh, being led by mexico and canada but uh as you look into uh um, what's going on in asia with new access granted in japan and, and taiwan uh you know earlier in the year uh, i think we're going to see some incremental growth there as well on some of the higher end cuts we're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, I would say if we can have these kind of numbers in a challenging year, if some things go well for us as far as trade deals in 2019, it could be a huge year coming up. Yeah, without a doubt. I think uh, I think uh, one of the keys is Japan uh, going forward, and I'm actually uh, in D.C. this week. Um, I testified before a committee yesterday uh, for USTR and FAS in regards to uh, feedback regarding the proposed Japan-U.S. Uh, trade agreement. And I think uh, this is really key. Um, things are good in Japan today, but we're, we're at a disadvantage. Um, our competitor nations like Australia <clears throat> have preferential duties under the CPTPP. 
uh, that, that's going to be, well, it is implemented and will be in the second year of implementation next April. And we're, and we don't have a deal. So, uh, this is essential going forward to make sure we're in a level playing field on a tariff basis with some of our key competitors. So, uh, I think that is key going forward that, uh, we have to make sure we work with our administration to expedite this process. Yeah, that's going to be a big uh, part of this picture, what happens with the trade deals. But uh, beyond that, uh, just looking at the overall picture, you touched, you touched on this earlier, Dan. There seems to be a growing global demand for meat. Yes, without a doubt. Per capita, this is what happens in a lot of these countries around the world. As the uh, economy slowly evolves, um, you start to see more spending power, <clears throat> and the first thing they want to have is uh, improved or or uh, elevated uh, quality of food intake. And uh, I think this is a lot of what's going on. We're seeing the desire for uh, um, if they're eating, you know, primarily starches before the demand for red meat protein, and uh, and I think it's becoming more and more evident. And then you see some of these established markets like Korea and Japan where the per capita consumption rates per person are increasing as well. So, yes, it's very positive stories we look forward. And we just got good news. Uh, uh, Morocco opening up to U.S. beef again. Exactly, yeah. It'll be a smaller market to start, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's always good to get access in the new markets. And uh, uh, that'll definitely, with the tourist trade especially there, that'll definitely be an opportunity as well for beef. Dan, give us an idea of, of of the market development work that's going on around the world to uh, to get us into some of these markets, and not only get us into them, but uh, to get growth into those markets. Well, everything that uh, the industry does, and, and this is we're no exception. USMEF with our our folks in our offices around the world, everything we do in some way, shape, or form revolves around education about telling our story, whether it's on beef or pork. And when I say telling our story, we're going back to the uh, the uh, production side, you know, the grain feeding that's involved, and then and then as you get into the processing of the animals, uh, the care and the food safety aspects of it, uh, and then our quality attributes, you know, our our superior uh, grain-fed beef and pork, these would be the competition around the world. What makes us different? This is this is what we do to tell our story globally, and. Uh, I think, uh, of course, we do it in concert with uh, a lot of the exporters and a lot of the industry in the U.S. And, you know, telling our story, it's a great story to tell. I think I think we have to do a better job of telling it and getting it out. But this really starts to pay dividends over time. I always find it interesting, too, that a lot of these countries, they want some of the meat cuts products that aren't that popular here in the U.S., but they are in other, in other countries. Exactly, yeah. And that's a lot of what, what we do as well is to line up the uh, cultural demand for cuts with, with the local culture. And I'll give you a good example. We've talked about this before. But beef comes into Japan for yakiniku, for the uh, family-style dining segment of yakiniku, the barbecue grill. Um, you know, the, the vast majority of the tongues that qualify for Japan go there. And the reason they go there is the market today is about $5 a pound for a beef tongue. Uh, going to Japan, whereas if it stayed here in the U.S., uh, it'd be something well under a dollar a pound. So it's all about maximizing the value and, and uh, values in the eyes of the beholder, and the Japanese have a very high impression of, of the beef tons. So this is what we try to do to maximize the return back to the producer in the U.S. 
We talk a lot about the biggies, uh, China, Japan, of course, Mexico. But what are some other markets we should be watching in 2019 that could become very good markets for U.S. meat? Well, I think they're not new, but Central and South America continue to grow and continue to evolve. You know, countries such as, uh, you know, Colombia and Chile and South America, you know, Ecuador has recently opened as well. Uh, and then in Central America, you, of course, you have, uh, you know, Panama, you have Guatemala and countries like this. Those will continue to be to be good growth areas. Um, some newer regions that people don't talk much about uh, is Africa, and I do think that that's it's going to take some time, but we're seeing uh, uh, growth into uh, places like Ghana, Angola, and South Africa as well. So, yeah, these are all opportunities to be cultivated for the future. And obviously, these markets are all critical when we look at our production here in the U.S. Uh, we need to find a home uh, for for this meat. Uh, we have good domestic demand, but we need this export demand. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you hit on it, Mike. You need both. You need, to, you need to be hitting on both cylinders. Uh, you know, the, the product mixed domestically is important, and, and you mix that with positive things going on with the, with the export product mix, and uh, it makes for maximizing the value of the carcass. As you travel around the world, you talk with these customers. Uh, do they prefer U.S. meat, or is it a matter of price? Uh, what is the biggest selling point? Well, I think, um, I think it's, a, it's a combination, uh, depending on which country you're in. But I would say that the biggest thing we have going for us is our reputation. Uh, basically, and it varies, but basically, um, when you see something in a, uh, a U.S. establishment number, you know, product of USA, uh, USDA inspected box, uh, there's a certain level of, uh, of confidence. Um, and you don't have that in a lot of the countries where we're selling into. Uh, so, you know, our reputation of being a high-quality, safe provider of of beef, pork, and lamb uh, is a huge selling point that we build off of. Well, always hard to predict the future. This year has taught us uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves because you don't know what might be around that next corner. But based on what we're seeing right now, uh, and if some things go the right way with some trade deals, 2019 looks like could be a very big year for meat exports. It very well could, yes. That's uh, that's our goal. That's what we're working towards. And uh you know, every day is different, but uh, the, the basic supply and demand dynamics are very, very positive, that, you know, that would indicate increased uh, demand for our products in the U.S. Yeah, it's uh, it's setting up that way, and it's a, it couldn't come at a better time. I mean, we, we need that those markets to come through. And, again, I think the big takeaway here is with all the, the negative trade news and the tensions and the problems, it was still a very big year for U.S. meat exports. And, uh, Dan, thank you for the update and for all the great work you do there at USMEF. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for the time. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Stay with us. Much more to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. 
Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Over the holiday season, you know there are so many pleas out there for assistance from one organization or another. All of them do good work. We're asking you not to forget us. Every child deserves a little Christmas. Every year since 1947, the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program has been out there collecting toys for millions of deserving children, children who otherwise would go without at this most joyous time of year. The Toys for Tots website is the starting point to find one of our campaign sites. It's toysfortots.org. That's really simple. Toysfortots.org. All one word. Toysfortots.org. There you'll be able to find out how to donate directly to a local campaign or register for assistance. Toysfortots.org. All you need to remember, toysfortots.org. Delivering hope since 1947. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. 
Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, joining us now on Adams on Agriculture is Sean Richmond, Environmental Services Director with the Agribusiness Association of Iowa. He's helped uh, put together the 4R-plus videos that are meant to help farmers and crop advisors with uh, practices to improve soil health, improve water quality, and also increase crop productivity. Sean, thank you for joining us. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Tell us about uh, putting these videos together. Yeah, so, you know, what we saw with the 4R Coalition was kind of the need to provide some additional materials, um, certainly focused on crop advisors and their customers, the farmers across Iowa, um, to help enhance the impact they have with advising on agronomy and crop protection, but then extending that to the services and uh, advice they can help provide on conservation work, um, getting beyond just the 4Rs of in-field management and to some of the plus practices that help reduce nutrient losses, too, and making them better aware of that information so they can be that resource um, at the farm gate with their customers. What's in these videos that, that makes it unique or especially helpful to farmers? So I think some of the things that really help it uh, be more useful information um, is we provide information certainly to help folks understand um, how these losses occur between nitrogen and phosphorus, um, certainly different pathways for both of those. We see a lot of uh, phosphorus loss, for example, is based on, you know, tied to soil erosion. Uh, nitrogen loss is usually something leaching down through the soil and then getting out through the water um, into the drainage ditches and streams. And so we need different practices to address these different uh, pathways for loss. Um, some of the other stuff we did in addition to kind of helping them understand how these losses occur um, is kind of get it tailored to the type of landscape they're working in with their customers. If they have a a gently to steeply sloping terrain, um, different practices apply there as compared to kind of some of your, your more flat and gentle terrain where you do different practices to address the concerns you have in those landscapes. So um, really putting the information together in an accessible way so it's not all tossed at them and they have to filter through it to see what's pertinent to their farms and their customers, uh, making it easy for them to look at the areas that apply to them and figure out what works. I think also important, too, to to emphasize that these are tips on how to improve soil health and water quality, which everyone wants to do. But sometimes I think uh, the challenge is, are they going to have to do something that's they're going to have to sacrifice productivity in the process? Uh, this emphasizes you can have it's a win-win situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do to improve the productivity on the farm that have the um, additional benefit of reducing those nutrient losses and improving water quality. That's where a lot of the focus of 4R Plus is at, is um, certainly 
how can we build the productivity of our landscapes, of our soils, and in the process also have impacts on water quality that are very beneficial and, and certainly focusing on the ones that are the most economical at the farm level to carry out. Um, it's a win-win scenario there. Yeah, because a lot of times the challenge is uh, you can recognize long-term benefits, but it <laughs> you, the question always comes down to, well, what – how do I get to those long-term benefits if I can't survive the short-term? That's where the productivity part comes in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we know that certainly there's different dynamics out there, whether you're in a cash rent or an owner-operator situation. Um, different things uh, work in those types of scenarios. Certainly, you know, in like a cash rent situation where you're kind of going year to year, um, you know, making these types of changes, there's got to be a productivity gain. There's got to be the economics on the farm to be able to carry out these practices and then over a course of years, obviously, we'll see those improvements over time in soil health and productivity. Some of those are a little bit longer term, but um, there's a nice array of practices that have both that immediate impact um, kind of in year one and the others that kind of help build up that uh, productivity over several years of use. We're talking with Sean Richmond, Environmental Services Director with the Agribusiness Association of Iowa, talking about the 4R-plus videos uh, to help farmers and crop advisors on practices to improve soil health, water quality, and increase crop productivity. So uh, your intended audience here, both farmers and crop advisors, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, most of the things, the, the kind of some of the focus with the courses we put together was really geared towards crop advisors. Um, you know, another benefit for them is they can get some uh, continuing education units um, with going through the videos, kind of helps them keep their CCA accreditation, uh, but also really kind of leverages that, that impact they have. You know, we're, we're aiming this at the folks that work with virtually every farmer about every field every year and are providing that agronomy and, and other advice. Um, so if we can provide them some practical resources, um, steer that towards them, and then they can then be the referral resource at the farm gate uh, with their customers to kind of help point them to some of these things that they can consider in their operation to make these impacts and these changes. Not that these things haven't been important before, but it seems like there is an increased uh, uh, you know, priority on this now, certainly more attention and scrutiny being placed on these on these issues right now. Yeah, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff recently that has certainly heightened some of the attention. Um, you know, we're in the fifth year uh, here in Iowa of having a um, dedicated nutrient reduction strategy to, you know, um, steer our efforts towards reducing nutrient losses. Um, other actions in the state have really helped heighten the attention to this. So like you said, it's it's not that this hasn't been a priority in the past, but there's certainly been a lot of recent things that really heightened attention around it. You know, things in Iowa and other surrounding states that have had some of these water quality challenges as well. It's really um, heightened the awareness and then the appetite for this type of information. That's really what we're striving to provide is good information that folks can go to to kind of help them, um, you know, weigh through these issues and figure out options that may be both economical for them on the farm in terms of productivity and also help them impact uh, the environment and improving water quality. Yeah, these are critical issues no matter what state you farm in, so it's important to everyone. Okay, how do farmers and crop consultants uh, uh, access these videos? Sure. Um, they can go to the, the website for the 4R Plus uh, Coalition, which is at 4rplus.org. On the Resources tab, there's a little DA courses, and uh, the videos are right there. So. Um, there's five of those videos available. Um, one goes through the nutrient strategy. Others are um, 
going through the nitrogen and phosphorus sides of the different practices and the different landscapes those apply in. Um, each one of those is available. It's about a five to ten minute video each, um, and each one of them is worth a half a credit for CEU for the CCAs that take that. A lot of good information. We hope folks will check it out. Sean, thanks for being with us. You bet. Thanks for having me on. All right. That is Sean Richmond, Environmental Services Association of Iowa. And with that, we wrap things up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.